You know, here's the reality. The reality is that every person in this room has a story. A story that God is writing. There's a destination in your future that God has for you that is so much bigger and so much greater than you can ever think or imagine. And the only thing preventing you from getting to that destination is you. See, Amani has chosen, she has chosen to allow God to love her the way that God actually does love her. She has chosen to not look at her earthly father as the example of what a real dad should be, but to look at her heavenly father who loves her unconditionally, who, does, who is there for her when she falls down, who is there for her when she messes up, and loves her in spite of any issues or anything that she may have in her life. That's the heavenly father that we serve. This has nothing to do with the message tonight or any of that kind of stuff. But let me, just, let me just take it even a step further here. There are so many implications for relationships when we get into this kind of conversation. So many uh, implications for the people that you choose to date or to get in relationships with. Because here's the reality, ladies... If you choose a guy who is a deadbeat and you choose a guy who is only in it for sex and only in it for his own self-gratification, then when you get stuck in a situation or you get pregnant or something like that happens, he will abandon you. And I'm telling you, I've seen it so many times. I've had so many students in my student ministry who just think, man, I can go out, I can date whatever guy I want to date and get involved with whatever guy I want to get involved in, no matter what he believes, no matter how he thinks, no matter what worldview he has, because he's hot, he's cute, he's funny, he's this, he's that. And I'm here to tell you right now, there is nothing in your life that would destroy you more than getting into the relationship with the wrong guy, period. And men... We gotta man up. We gotta take responsibility. We gotta take responsibility when we're dating a girl. We gotta treat a girl with, with love and respect. And we gotta let her know that we care for her. And we gotta let her know that we're gonna keep our hands off of her because if we can't keep our hands off of her while we are dating and honor God in that relationship, then if we ever do get married, then how is she gonna know and have the confidence that we're not gonna have our hands on somebody else while we're married? We got to exhibit self control and we got to be leaders and we got to be godly men and we got to treat women the way they're supposed to be treated, the way God tells us to treat them. In fact, the Bible tells us husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, he laid down his life for us. That's the kind of love. That is the kind of love that we are to have for our women. And so, man, you got to man up. You got to take responsibility. You got to be leaders in the relationship. And I know this there are very few things that get people distracted and get them knocked out of being in a strong relationship with God than getting in the relationship with the wrong person. I've been a youth pastor for 10 and a half years, and I've seen it happen so many times. People leading on the worship team, people leading in our student leadership, people leading in this, people leading in that, and they get in a wrong relationship, and they start taking that road down that way, and the next thing you know, they're not around anymore. And I want to caution you to that. But praise be to God that in a situation that's so broken 
as a money situation. God the Redeemer, God the Healer. Last week as, as Danny was talking about God reconciling us to himself, God mending us to himself, God comes and mends a situation that seems so broken and so difficult and so hopeless back to the way that it's supposed to be. And he does the same thing in our relationship with him. And if you got your Bibles tonight, I want to I ask you to open up to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, <clears throat> this is Isaiah's calling. I'll give you a little background of Isaiah chapter 6. In fact, if you take your Bible and you cut it right in half, you should be pretty close to Isaiah. Because <clears throat> it's about right dead in the middle. And uh, Isaiah is a prophet and, uh, who wrote around the 7th century B.C., uh, he writes one of the, uh, the longest books of the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And uh, the interesting thing about it is you hear all the time people talk about, oh, there's prophecies that you know, talk about Jesus and talk about future things. But most of the prophets spoke for events that were happening during their day. In fact, 95% of the prophecies that are mentioned in Scripture, in scripture are mentioned about what the events of their day are. Only about 5% are mentioned for future events. And so when we get to Isaiah, we see in Isaiah chapter 6, God calling Isaiah out. And he tells a little bit about this calling that God places on his life. And I want to read this to you because I think that this is, this is uh, so relevant to us. And I want to challenge you guys because I believe that every single one of us, whether you're a, a believer, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every one of us are called to something. And I want to help us navigate that tonight. So let's read this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they called to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Let me give you a, a picture of what's going on. All of a sudden... The heaven is open and God reveals himself to Isaiah. God reveals heaven to Isaiah. And he looks into heaven and he sees this scene of these seraphim flying. And they're, they're covering their faces and they're covering their feet. And with their, they're, they're flying in the air and they're just saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The interesting thing about this is, is that when we see glimpses into heaven from Scripture, we see that this is a chant that people keep saying over and over and over again. In Revelation we see it when uh, John is taken up and he gets to see into heaven and he's sees everyone around the throne saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty and this is what we know about god god is holy he is set apart nothing has tainted him there is no sin in him there is no ugliness in him there is nothing within him that is bad everything that in him is filled with goodness and love and joy and peace and we see them worshiping and then look what look what isaiah's response is Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to, uh, uh, with me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, from the tongue to the altar. And he touched my tongue and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, or your sin is taken away. 
Now I want you to notice this picture. He's there before God and he's before this holy God. And as he stands before this holy God, all of a sudden, the realization of his sin, the realization of all this junk in his life hits him. And he's like, holy cow, here I am standing in front of a holy God. God is certainly going to destroy me because the Bible says there's no sin that can be in the presence of God. And we know that that is the reason why we need Jesus. We need the mediator between God and man. That is why we need a relationship with him so that we can be restored to right relationship with God because we cannot be in the presence of God in and of ourselves because of our sin, because of our fallenness, because of our wickedness, because of the things that we do in our life that are disobedient to God. And the Bible says that a seraphim flew down and he, he takes a live coal and he puts it on Isaiah's tongue and, and he says, your sins are taken away. So now, now Isaiah can be in the presence of God without being destroyed. And there's a big awesome picture here of of Jesus as well. And then look what he says. Then he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. I mean, have you guys ever thought about what the voice of God sounds like? You know, like, does does this sound like Morgan Freeman, you know? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like every time you hear God, it's like, you know, this just deep, you know, voice or whatever. And and I'm not sure what his voice sounds like, but, but Isaiah knows because the Lord God spoke to him and he says this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. When I was thinking about this pastor's scripture, I was thinking about what God said. God said, whom will I send? Who will I send out? It's almost like God is looking out at the landscape of all of his people. And we know that during this time, God's people, the Israelites, were disobedient. They were were doing things that were against God. They were worshiping other gods. They were distracted from the one true God. They were distracted from his love. They were distracted from everything. And it's almost as if God is looking out over all of his people and he's not seeing anyone following him. And he looks out and he says, whom shall I send? Who will go? Who is available? Who will go and do what I need them to do? See, this is what I think. I think God is asking every single one of us, are you available? Are you available? And what does it mean to be available? What it means to be available means to be free from, the atta- from an attachment. So, for example, if I say, I am single, I am available, then that means that I'm free from the attachment of a girlfriend or free from the attachment of a boyfriend. If you come to me and you say, uh, hey, Derek, I'm, I'm moving this weekend. Can you come and help me move? If I say I am available, then I'm saying I don't have anything else going on. But if I say, actually, I got something going on this weekend. I'm not going to be able to go. I'm not available. So being available means being free from an attachment. What is it to be available to God? I think it's this. Being free from the attachment of ourselves. Being free from the attachment of ourselves. See, this is what I know. What I know is is that every single one of us wants to be in the driver's seat of our life. We want to have the keys to the car. When, I, when we were doing this, uh, listening to this song earlier, and uh, you know, and they're singing, Take my life, take all that I am, with all that I am, I will love you. Take my life, take, you know what I'm saying, they're singing that song, I mean, that's a good dang song, you know what I mean, and, uh, and they're out there singing that song, and I'm like, man, do we really understand what that means, I mean, do we really understand what we're saying when we say, God, take my life, 
I mean, I hear Christians say this all the time. I gave my life to Jesus. We hear people say all the time, have you given your life to Jesus? Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus. What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? What does that even mean? I mean, if you think about it, and I was thinking about Christmas coming up, and is there anybody that's just asking for, like, something big for Christmas? Like, you know, I don't even care about, like, all these little things. I don't care about all this kind of stuff. Like, I just want one big thing. Raise your hand if you're asking. You're just like, yeah, oh, yeah, ask somebody. Just like, I want one, all right, one big thing. I remember for Christmas, several times I asked for one big thing. And, hey, how many of you asked for one big thing, and it doesn't really matter? Your mom's going to get you a whole bunch of little stuff that you don't want anyway. Anybody like that? Let me tell you what I got for Christmas last year. My mom, I'm a 31-year-old man. My mom last year got me a pillow pet. My mom last year got me a Snuggie. And my mom last year got me some pajama jeans. Pajama jeans. Those are pajamas that are, look like jeans so you can wear them out and be comfortable and make it look like jeans. That's kind of weird. I know. I'm 31. My mom gets that stuff. Uh, North Carolina Tar Heels pillow pet, because that's my favorite team. And uh, go Hills. <clears throat> We're going nowhere fast. And I remember asking for something big for Christmas many times. And so uh, I remember one time I was asking for a gun for Christmas. And I just wanted a gun. I wanted this, this 12-gauge shotgun. I was 12 years old. And, um, and uh, underneath my Christmas tree was this 12-gauge shotgun. And I remember opening it up, and I was like, yeah! And I'm like just doing backflips. I can't really do a backflip, but just for sake of illustration, backflips. I'm jumping up and down. I'm screaming. I'm excited. Yeah, I got a gun. And I'm, I'm so pumped about it. And, and I'm like ready to shoot it and, and all this kind of stuff. And imagine if at the, in the midst of all of my excitement, my dad walks over and goes, ah, you know what, <clears throat> I decided I'm going to keep that. And he takes it out of my hand. I would be like, what? I mean, how are you going to give me something and then take it away? How are you going to give me something and take it away? And, and, and then I started thinking about how, I started thinking about how, uh, how, how my first car was this 1979 K5 Blazer, rusted hood, brown rusted hood, and rust all over the sides, rust everywhere. I mean, this thing was beat down. And I'll never forget my junior year of high school, we were about to go to prom, and, um, and the girl that I was going to take, uh, her, dad, her dad had this brand new Lexus. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man. He's like, uh, you can take my daughter in this Lexus if you don't want to drive that hoopty over there. And I was like, well, you know, I would like to drive that Lexus. And so he gave me the Lexus, and, I, and we went out for the, and we went out for the, for the thing. And, 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 and I tell that because I, I think about that, and I'm like, that's kind of what we do with God. We say, God, I'm going to give you my life. God, I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to surrender to you. And then we, and then we try to take it back. We try, to, we try to keep control of it. We, we try to say, God, I'm freeing myself from the attachment of myself, but I really don't want to. I'm going to pull it right back in. And our life is kind of like a 1979 K5 Blazer all rusted up. And the life that God has for us is like a brand new Lexus. 
And we have that, and it's like, God, yes, uh, here, you can take the keys to my rusted old 1979 Chevrolet Blazer, and you can hand me the keys to that Lexus, to this new life that you have for me, this amazing life that you have for me, this full life that you have for me. And I, I take those keys, and it's like, I'm driving this thing around. And then what we do is we go back and we say, you know, hey, you know what, God, I think I just want to drive the K5 Blazer around for a little while longer. I mean, how foolish is that? But that's what we do. I mean, what does it mean to give your life to Jesus? It means to hand over all control. It means to be free from the attachment of yourself. It means to give it all. It means there is some surrender involved. There is some sacrifice involved. But we don't mind the surrender and we don't mind the sacrifice because the gift is so much greater than the surrender and the sacrifice. It's like the story of the treasure in the field. Jesus tells a story and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. He goes and he sells everything he owns, goes to buy the field so that he could have the treasure. Why would he sell everything he owns and give everything away in order to have the treasure? Because he knew that the value of the treasure was far greater than anything else that he had before. And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, we realize that the treasure of knowing him is far greater than anything and everything that we could have before. And so God is asking us, are you available? Are you available? Who will go for us? I look in Collins Hill High School, and I look in Peachtree Ridge High School, and I look in Mountain View High School, and I look in Mill Creek High School, and I look in high school after high school after high school after high school, and I look in at the landscape of these high schools, and I'm saying, hey, who is it that is going to step up? Who is it that is going to go out? Who will go for me? My prayer is this, that we will receive the call of God, and we would say as Isaiah, Here I am, send me. God, here I am, send me. God, I'm available. God, I want to be used by you. God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to be obedient. God, if you ask me to stand in front of 300 people and and share a testimony about a difficult thing in my life, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you asked me to do it. I'm going to be obedient. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a sacrifice. But I know that there may be somebody in this room that needed to hear what I needed to say because you were going to speak to me tonight in that. And I think God gives us these God, God prompts. See, this is what I believe. When we talk about calling, I think there's two kinds of calling. I think there's a universal calling and there's a specific calling. And I want to talk you through this a little bit. The universal calling is a call that I believe that every single person who calls themselves a believer in Jesus has. This is universal. It's for everyone. And that calling is that you would go out and that you would take the gospel to people around you, that you would share the love of Christ in them, and that you would serve the people around you. I think that that is a calling that God gives every believer. And I believe, because the Bible tells us, that God gives gifts, spiritual gifts, to every believer to go out and make himself known to other people. That is a universal calling. Every person who calls themselves a Christian is called into ministry. Every person. Every one of us are called to go share the love of Christ, serve people, and share about what Jesus could do for them and what he has done for them. We are all called to that. Within that universal calling, we see that Jesus had a universal calling. In Luke chapter 9, uh, he, the, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus says that I came to seek and save that which was lost. 
Jesus had a mission. He had a call on his life to go and seek and save that which was lost. That was a general calling that Jesus had, a universal calling that Jesus had. And I believe that that universal calling has been passed on to us. In fact, we see that John the Baptist, when he came preaching before Jesus, it said that he would go preaching, uh, repent and be baptized. And then the Bible tells us right after John the Baptist dies, Jesus went out preaching, repent and be baptized. And that has kind of been given to all of us to continue that on. Turn from your sin. Put yourself in a relationship with God and then publicly share it with everyone through baptism. This is the call, a universal call that we all have. And so whether you're called to be, a, whether, whether you, th- you think that you're going to be, a, or whether you're going to be an engineer, or whether you're going to be a nurse, or whether you're going to be a doctor, or whether you're going to be a lawyer, or whether you're going to be a pilot, or whether you're going to be uh, you know, a machine gunner on a, on, a, on a Hummer in Afghanistan, whatever you're going to be, you need to know that God has called you to ministry where you're at. If every Christian was called to be a pastor, then who would go and do ministry in the hospitals to the people that work in hospitals? And who would do ministry in the law offices? That is something that God has called you to and placed on your life for you to take to your careers, to your schools, to every place that you go in your life. Then I believe God places specific callings on us. Specific. You look at Abraham, for example. God called Abraham specifically. God goes to Abraham and he says, listen, I want you to leave all your land, everything that's comfortable for you. I want you to pick your family up and your herds and all the stuff that you have. And I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you. It's going to be a place flowing with milk and honey. It is going to be the promised land. And so Abraham, without hesitation, because he knew the treasure was more valuable than what he had, he left everything that he owned to follow what God had for him. And he reaches the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. God placed a specific call on Abraham's life. God has placed a specific call on my life. He placed a specific call on me to go into ministry. When I was a senior in high school, I'd been a Christian for about six months, and I was praying, and I just felt like God impressing on my heart, Derek, you are going to go help other high school students get it. Because my whole entire high school career was about me hanging on to myself, me not being available to God, but me hanging on to the attachment to myself, me taking the keys to the car and driving it, me driving everything in my life, drinking and drugs and sleeping around and doing stupid stuff because I wanted to gratify myself, I wanted to do everything for myself that was all about me, all about me, all about me, all about me. And the reality of that was that that was leading to destruction in my life. When I gave my life to Christ as a senior year of high school and God delivered me from that, God radically changed my life, God radically transformed me, and I began sharing my faith with my friends that were around me, and they were like, dude, Derek's a different person, like, who is this guy? We don't even know this guy, like, man, he, man this is crazy, this transformation is taking place, and my friends started coming to Christ, and one day I was so burdened for my friends, I was like, I only have my senior year of high school to minister to these guys, I only have my senior year of high school to share the love of Christ with them. Man, I wish we were in eighth grade, so I had all this time to share with him. And God spoke to my heart, and he says, you're going to help high school students for the rest of your life. Get it. And here I am. God placed a specific call on my life. I remember I was going to a church. 
uh, I, was, I was at my, I had a church, and I kind of felt like God released me from that church, and I got calls from two churches. One was in San Diego, California, and one was in uh, Illinois. And I began praying through the process, and as I was praying through the process, I didn't feel like God saying, Derek, you should go to this one or you should go to that one. I feel like God saying to me, Derek, just go and serve me and do ministry. It doesn't matter which one you go to. In fact, this is what I've discovered about the will of God. If you're serving and seeking after God, you cannot be outside of his will. You cannot be outside of his will. See, what happens is, is that we get so paralyzed with trying to discover and find the will of God that, that we are, we're trying to, we're like, well, I don't want to do it because maybe God doesn't have that plan for me or I don't want to do this because maybe God doesn't have that purpose for me and we become paralyzed and we end up doing nothing. And God is saying, just go. And so I just adopted this motto, go until you hear a no. And so I began praying this. I didn't feel like God was saying either one. I felt like he was saying either one's a great opportunity. Just pick one. But then... Years later, I feel like God was calling me to 12 Stone Church. And I've never shared this full story with you guys, but a part of what I wanted to talk to you about since I've been here now for a year is I wanted to share with you a little bit of my calling to 12 Stone Church. I was at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd been there for a while and... and um, and, and it was just a kind of a, a church was kind of old school and kind of a little bit rules driven and ritualistic and kind of a little bit, you know, just much different philo uh, philosophically than I was. And it was a difficult place to be because there were not a lot of people my age that were coming into the church and things like that. <clears throat> and I remember I came home one day and, uh, and my wife, who is just an amazing godly woman, she was just heartbroken, man. She began telling me, you know, the difficulties that she was having and, <clears throat> you know, man, we just don't have those relationships here and, you know, our church isn't reaching people and if the church is dying and we're passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus and, and, and you know, it was just kind of this difficult kind of thing that we were wrestling with. And, and I'll be honest with you, I tried to defend the church. And then Megan asked me, she says, well, would you invite your friends to this church? And I was like, No. She was like, would you invite your, I was like, no, I wouldn't invite anybody to this church. I, she said, if, if you weren't working here, would you attend it? I was like, no, I wouldn't. And so I just began, I began to pray, and, and, I, and, I, and I, got, I, got, I got mad, I'll be honest with you. I got mad because my wife was hurting. And so the next day I go in my office, and I'm ticked, and I'm just pacing in my office, you know, and I'm like, and so I pull up my computer, and I go to churchstaffinggut.com, and 12 Stone Church High School Pastor position pops up on the screen. Now, I know that you guys that go to 12 Stone Church may not know, but 12 Stone Church is one of the top churches in the, in the world to work for. In fact, I was talking with a church consultant, and he said it's one of the top three churches in the United States that anybody can work for. This isn't a place that you just send your resume in and you get a job at. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to send my resume. I don't know anybody. I don't have any connections, any that kind of stuff. So I shoot my resume off. I get home that night, and I tell Megan, I was like, hey, I sent my resume to a church. I've known about 12 Stone Church for years. I said, I sent my resume to this church called 12 Stone. And Megan's like, I've heard you talk about that church before. I'm like, yeah. So a couple months before that, before I sent the resume off, Megan and I were driving, uh, through, driving to Alabama from Charlotte, and we were passing through. We got off the Hamilton Mill exit to get some gas. And uh, we just stay off the, you know, the little, the little windmill thing there, you know, Hamilton Mill exit. So we get off the Hamilton Mill exit thing, and we go there, and we start getting pumping gas. And Megan just goes, I just have such a peace about this place. Like, it's just, it's just I don't know. Like, I just want to live here, just joking around. 
So, uh, so anyway, she goes, hey, I'm going to see if it's close to that Hamilton Mill place that we passed on that exit she got off. She t- we type in the website to the church, and boom, it pops up. And it's like, Lawrenceville campus, Hamilton Mill campus, da da And it's like 10 minutes from now, we're like, holy cow, this is crazy. To make it even crazier, my wife and I just bought a house right off the Hamilton Mill exit. So we... Uh, so, we, so, so I sent the resume off, and I told Megan, I said, dude, I'm probably not going to get a call. They're going to get thousands of resumes for this position. There's no way I'm getting a call for this position. So, this, the, uh, uh, so about two days later, um, I get a call from Shannon Waples, the guy who was overseeing Next Gen for, for 12 Stone Church. He calls me up. He's like, bro. He's like, you won't believe this, man. I was flipping through resumes, and I saw your resume, and you worked at a church that I, worked, that I was the executive pastor at for five years in Illinois. And he says, and I just, I, I just called everybody I knew up there, and they said, you better hire this guy. And he says, so I'm calling you just to have a conversation with you. So, I, so, I, so we talked for about an hour. So I get off the phone with him. Well, the next day I go in, and then my worship guy who works with me at my church, him and I are talking. And I'm like, bro, I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing at this church. Uh, they called me last night, called 12 Stone Church. He's like, 12 Stone Church, I think I know that church. One of my buddies, I think, leads worship there. He says, hold on a sec. So he calls his buddy up. He says, hey, man, his buddy goes to Christ Fellowship. He's like, hey, man, is that church that you go up for and help out with worship sometimes? Is that 12 Stone? He's like, yeah, 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 it is 12 Stone. Actually, my mentor is Shannon Waples. I'm like, what the heck? And so, and so he's like, dude, I'll call Shannon up right now. So he calls Shannon up right now. And, and so then I told Jonathan, I was like, bro, don't be telling, don't be telling your buddies to call Shannon because I don't want him to think that I'm like trying to get all these people to call him up to get me this job. So then the next day, <clears throat> Jonathan is talking on the phone, my, my, my worship guy, with his mentor who's a pastor in a church in Orlando. He's like, and, and he's talking about his frustrations, and, 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 and this guy's name's Andrew Oates, and he's talking to Andrew Oates, and Andrew Oates is, and he says, he says, well, what does Derek think about the church? He says, actually, Derek just interviewed at a church called 12 Stone. Andrew goes, get out of here. Like, four of my best friends work on the staff at 12 Stone Church. I worked on staff at another church with three guys on the 12 Stone staff, and, uh, and uh, one of my closest friends is Shannon Waples, and, uh, <laughs> and I spoke at their youth camp for like two years, a couple years back. And Jonathan was like, no way. And he's like, I'm going to call Shannon right now. So like the next day, Shannon calls me. He's like, bro, I don't even know what the heck's going on. I keep getting calls and emails and all this kind of stuff. He's like, we're just going to bring you in. We're going to bring three guys in. We're just going to bring you in. So Megan and I, we, we've come down and, uh, and we get here to 12 Stone Church. We go out to eat with Shannon and his wife. And we start driving. We start driving over to, uh, to uh, the church here on Saturday night. Now, if you guys don't know this, God had placed it on our pastor's heart Pastor Kevin Myers' heart, uh, to, um, to give God Saturday night. And he said, if you give me Saturday, if you meet with me Saturday night, I'll meet with you Sunday morning. So every Saturday, there are pastors and people that meet here at the church, and they pray over what happens on Sunday. And uh, it's a pretty powerful thing. And so Megan and I are driving over there, and Megan goes, you know, it's just crazy. God just keeps laying this scripture on my heart from Esther chapter 4, which says, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Let me give you a little background on the story. Esther uh, ended up becoming the, uh, the king's, uh, the, the queen um, uh, under, uh, under Xerxes. And, um, and so she's the queen and, uh, over this, in this, this massive empire. And, uh, and, and, and what ends up happening is there's this guy, Haman, who goes out and he's trying to, he wants to kill all of the Jews. And so he goes and he gets Xerxes to, to, uh, to agree to go in and annihilating all the Jews. Well, Esther is a Jew. And so her dad tells her, listen, you have got to go before the king and you've got to plead our case for us. 
And she sends back to him and says, I can't do that. If I go before the king without being summoned from him and he doesn't reach out his iron scepter to me, then I will be killed. And Mordecai sends back to her, her dad, he says, listen, maybe God puts you in this position for such a time as this. And God will deliver his people, whether it be through you or somebody else, but you got a choice to make. And Megan says, maybe that we were brought to the place that we are at for such a time as this. So we walk into the church, we get up there, and they say, all right, we're going to pray. So we all held hands, and they started to pray, and the first person prayed, God, I just feel like you've laid the scripture on my heart for such a time as this, to pray in this room tonight. And so I just want to pray that right now. I'm sitting there like squeezing Megan's hand, you know, like, what the heck is going on? This is freaking crazy. And uh, so then, so then, uh, so then we start driving, we start, we, we dri- we're driving back home, driving back up to South Carolina, and as we're driving back home, Megan is just telling me, she's like, you know, she's like, this stuff's just happening so fast, it's kind of crazy. She's like, I just want peace. Like, I just want peace. Like, I just need peace. I just need peace. No lie. I'm like, Megan, look, two rainbows, not one, two rainbows, boop, boop. Perhaps you don't know where the rainbow comes from. Go back and read of the story of Noah. And, um, and so we're like, all right, dude, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is, it's all coincidental, right? Coincidental. So we get back. Uh, I come back and do another interview and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, Shannon calls me up and he says, hey, we want to offer you the job as a high school pastor at 12 Stone Church. And there's a lot more to the story. And I'm like, and I'm like holy cow. Well, I was there. I was there, but Megan wasn't there yet. And men, you need to know this. When you are married, you are one flesh. And if the answer was no from Megan, I wasn't coming. Because if God called me to something, he would call her as well. Because we're a team, we're together. This isn't about me dragging my wife all over the place to do the ministry that I want to do. It is about us doing ministry together. And so Megan, and I'm telling her on the phone, and she says, Derek, I just, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I know that they, they, they want you to come down there and they think you're the right guy, but I want Dan Ryland, the executive pastor of our church, I want Dan Ryland to call you and tell you that you are God's man, that they prayed about it, and you are God's man. I'm like, Megan, Dan Ryland is not going to call me and tell me that. She said, yeah, but I, I just want, I just need to hear that. I just need to know that they prayed about it and they think you're God's man. Not that you are a guy that can do the job, but that you are God's man. And I'm like, and, and I'm getting frustrated on the phone. I'm like, all right, whatever. And so I'm walking into the gym, and five minutes later, my phone rings, and I pick it up, and I answer the phone. I'm like, hello? And Dan Ryland says, hey, Derek. This is Dan. I said, hey, Dan, how you doing? He said, great, man. He says, hey, I just want you to know that myself and Pastor Kevin and the board have been praying for this position for the last six months. And we want you to know that we all, without a shadow of a doubt, believe that you are God's man for this position. Dude, I'm on the phone like, bro, you won't even believe this. <laughs> and I tell him what happened. So I call Megan back. I'm like, hey, Megan, listen, like, you won't believe this junk. Dan Ryland just called me. She's like, no, he didn't. I'm like, yes, he did. I'm, she's like, no, he didn't. I get home. I'm like, Megan, look at my call log right there. Dan Ryland, call's coming in. You know what I mean? And it, like, we're, like, we're like freaking out, just freaking out. <laughs> And Megan's like, all right, Megan's like, you know, I'm, I'm, still not, I'm still not there yet. I'm still not there. I just need peace. And they're like, we got a week. You know what I mean? You know, they're like, you got a week to make a decision. <laughs> so we're going through the week. We're going through the week. And Megan's praying, and I'm praying. And, you know, and, and I'm, you know, we're being patient. We're trying to go through this, and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. 
We have student ministry on Friday night. Megan's like, I'm not coming to student ministry. I'm going to go and pray. And so Megan goes, <clears throat> she goes in the back of our neighborhood in a little cul-de-sac, and she begins to pray. Well, Friday night ends, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is Wednesday, and we're supposed to make the decision. And Megan says, <clears throat> all right, I need you to sit down. So I sit down. She says, I want to tell you what God's shown me. I'm like, all right. So last Friday, I was praying in the parking lot. I was crying out to God. I said, God, I just need you to give me peace about this decision. I don't want to go to some place for a year or two years. I want to go to a place for 10, 15 years. I want to move my life there. I want to be there long term. She starts telling me this. And, uh, and, and she's like, I'm praying to God, and I'm crying out to God. And I've been crying out to God for a while, and I just kept praying over and over again, God, give me peace. 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 Just kept praying, kept praying. And then, so she got finished praying, and she's just sitting there. And she just pushes the button on her radio. And when she pushes the button on her radio, she said, a song pops on my radio. And she's got her laptop open, and she pushes play on the song. I got the song for you. I want to hear it? Check this song out. Oh, yeah. 
She plays this for me. And uh, the snot's flying everywhere, you know, we're, we're crying all over the place, all this kind of stuff. And so, so I call Shannon, I'm like, bro, we're coming. Like, we, we know that God's calling us here. And uh, so two days later, there's a big event in Charlotte, and I'm speaking at this event, and, and, uh, and the band comes out, leads worship. I go up and speak. I go back, and I'm in the green room, and I'm talking with the band and all this kind of stuff. And my phone rings, and Megan's calling me. So I step outside, and I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, it went great. I'm, you know, it's not over yet. They're doing a couple things. And, man, there's this worship band here, dude. They are freaking awesome. And uh, they're killing it. This band called Echoing Angels. And Megan goes, are you kidding me? That is the band that sings that song that I showed you the other night because I didn't know the name of them. And, uh, and, and no lie, that band was leading worship at the place that I was speaking at that night. It was crazy. That, those guys. And um, all that to say, coincidence? I don't think so. I think God specifically called us to 12 Stone. I think God specifically calls people to certain things. But this is what I know. God has a call on every person's life that's in this room. He has a purpose and a plan for you. And you may think that there is no way God can use me. There's no way God can do this in me. There's no way God can do this in me. And you need to know that God can. God can take a young lady whose dad bailed and he can do big things in her life. God can use someone who, was, who abused drugs and alcohol and can do something big in their life. I don't know what your shortcomings are. I don't know what you think that you got, but you need to know that God has a call on your life. He has a plan in your life and he has a perfect purpose for your life. And there are some of you in this room tonight that I believe God is going to specifically call into ministry to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be, to be uh, worship leaders, to be children's ministers, to be youth pastors. I mean, to be people who are doing unbelievable things for the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you guys to seek God on that. And if that's you and you feel like God may be calling you into ministry... Man, I want to challenge you to come and talk to me. Because we're going to begin in January and February, we're going to begin a called into ministry kind of coaching uh, deal that we're going to begin doing to preparing people who feel called into ministry for ministry. And I think it's going to be a big deal and a powerful thing. And we want to come alongside with you and walk with that journey with you. So please come and talk to me. And let's, let's talk about, shoot me an email, call me, just anything to let me know that you feel like calling to ministry. Maybe you're here and you feel called to be a doctor, to be whatever. I want to challenge you to do that, but go and take the gospel with you. Go and serve people and show the love of Christ wherever you go. We're going to have the band come up and they're going to they're gonna close us out tonight. And uh, my prayer for you is that your life would be like that of Isaiah. That when God says, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? You will say, here am I, send me. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. God, I want to be available. God, I want to give you the keys. And I don't want to pick them up anymore. Let's worship.